0: edition and this podcast of the Aquila Report and Weekly Review. This is Dominic Aquila along with Paul Harrell as we come to you regularly and weekly to uh, go over the top 10 list of those articles that were on the Aquila Report the week before that readers uh, clicked on read and as that result we just count up the numbers and uh, we show you what the readers have chosen. So Uh, We will go over that. Now, if you are listening to this uh, before the report comes out, normally our our newsletter comes out on Tuesday at 11 o'clock Eastern, and so that'll be in your box. Well, this podcast is normally broadcast uh, or prepared on Monday beforehand, but we're doing it on Tuesday morning, the day of. So you can listen to this real quick and then look at your list or be concurrent with it. So our schedule was uh, sort of different because of travel schedules and so forth. So we wanted to we still wanted to go over the top ten list and pe- many people listen to the podcast afterwards. So, Paul, we're here, ready to go over these top ten. And um, yeah. if you have you know, anything.
1: Well, that's no, <laughs> an interesting, you know, interesting list. And, you know, we have some uh, uh, allusions to the things that were discussed at the PCAGA Last week, but what's interesting is a lot of the reaction to the the general assembly is going to be uh, in the top ten next week. I suspect. Yes. Uh, so that that's that's kind of fascinating how we see this fallout in, in terms of the articles people read, um, because there's a lot of people that are still processing uh, what what happened, and then they're going to have different takes and ideas and write articles, and and then you know just make sure you're checking the equivalent report to uh, you know keep up to date.
0: Yes, in fact, I would urge you to do that because uh, what was uh, we already had a, a brief overview of the uh, some of the actions or significant actions at the General Assembly of the PCA yesterday on Monday. We have uh, some today, um, and they'll probably be running uh, others during this week. Um, that'll also be opinion pieces, uh, reflections on that, and so we we have that all up there. So uh, just check the, the com. Uh, Regularly during this week and you'll be able to uh, see what's up there So Paul as we begin, why don't you read the first, uh, the top uh, 10 through 6 and then I will do 5 through 1 And then we'll go ahead and get started
1: All right, number 10 from last week A piece by uh, by R. Fowler White He descended into hell is the title of that one Coming in at number 9, Kevin DeYoung Seven Principles for Cultivating a Christian Posture Toward the World Number eight, are Southern Baptists still people of the book? That's by Tom Askell. Number seven, by Brad Isbell, what's in the denominational name? And then coming in at number six, George Sayer, reading the domestic and sexual abuse study committee report. Again, that's reference to uh, what was uh, done at General Assembly.
0: Okay. Okay. Number uh, five is the story of COVID cries out for common sense. A story uh, article by Karen Hunt that uh, does to seeks to uh, dispel some of the issues that have arisen over that. And we've had discussions on that before on this podcast. Number four, Christians must protect pride, um, protest, pride parades and their violent, sodom like riotous Stonewall origin. Quite a title. Uh, That's by Grant Van Leeuwen. Uh, And he uh, basically saying this is something that uh, because of the morality of the issue, we should take up on. Number three, The Courage to be Presbyterian by John D. Payne. Uh, Number two, uh, Paper Tiger PCA, and that's with a question mark, by Ray Sanchez. And then uh, number one are Lessons Learned, Allegations at the OPC General Assembly. And since it's number one, we will take it up. And that is an opinion piece written by Benny Castle, uh, who's pastor of the Irish Presbyterian Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And this piece basically, if you recall from last week, if you read the Aquila Report uh, or other publications for that matter, uh, one of the things that uh, came out during the meeting of the General Assembly of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church was that there were allegations that presented during the meeting and it was announced by the moderator that they'd been informed that uh, some members of the OPC assembly had made disparaging uh, remarks and racist remarks and it was uh, perhaps i think during the times that they were might have been in the uh, dining hall when they were eating and said something to students or staff we were it was never really made clear but anyway that um was such um The way it hit the OPC assembly uh, was that uh, the assembly took time to reflect on it. They recessed for a bit, came back, and they uh, issued a um, multi-paragraphed apology, recognizing that this is not a, a good thing. At that point, they were not aware of who was involved or what was said, what the circumstances were, But if they didn't do that, uh, the threat was that the Eastern University uh, authorities, the campus they were meeting on in St. David's, Pennsylvania would uh, have to ask them to leave the campus, which would have uh, been a costly thing as far as the meeting. So um, after the fact, they found out that the allegations weren't as deeply serious as, or serious, I should say, not even deeply as they were. And so, uh, The OPC put out a a statement. We had it in the Aquila Report, ran the whole thing last week. And in fact, it was part of the top 10. And now now we're beginning to get reflections on it. So this is one by Benny Castle, whose lessons learned, allegations of the OPC. And he says, the major lesson from this assembly on this matter is that we need to double down on our Presbyterian principles, uh, witnesses and evidence with biblical process for those who are, Guilty and vindication for those who have been falsely charged. This was has always been the Presbyterian way, and it's uh, duly, doubly necessary in the negative world. By negative world, it's using that sort of a, a, a phrase that's coming has come out of a phraseology that um, Aaron Wren uh, has talked about the different times in our last 50, 60 years that. The Christianity was seen positively, then it was neutral, and then now we're in the negative phase. And so in the negative phase, no matter what you do, you, you're going to be seen negatively. So the negative world is a specific reference to to that. So in this um, opinion piece by uh, Benny Castle, he um, just uh, you know says we need to be careful about accepting the first words that come and the first allegations that come. Uh, because it's been fairly well documented from just the news stories that um, the issues weren't as bad uh, or didn't happen the way they were alleged to have happened. and uh, it, But it did create a great deal of uh, angst and stirring up of the uh, OPC General Assembly. And he just is uh, a warning for us to be careful uh, in our uh, our our allegations are when we get some word that we uh, make sure we have our facts as decently in an order as possible. So that's the warning on this piece. So I think it'll be helpful to take it beyond just what happened specifically in the OPC assembly, as well as to other uh, events and circumstances in our lives.
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh, I said this last week when we've covered this, I think we've covered this now three weeks or so. I mean. You know, yeah, two weeks anyway, two mm-hmm. weeks that, that, you know, calling somebody racist or, or being accused of being a racist is one of the worst things our culture, uh, you know, can can that you can be called in our culture. I mean, that's what it is. And so it, this is really more about the immediate reaction without pausing and letting it. And we, we see this a lot. I mean, this is not just in the OPC. We see this a lot with um, pastors across, uh, you know, especially ones with big platforms. Uh, let's say that there's a a, a big incident, uh, you know, maybe it's the Michael Brown incident from several years up, you know, hands up, don't shoot, and there'll be this, you know, uh, virtue signaling post uh, about, you know, condemning uh, a racist police officer before the facts are actually established, and 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 I'm just using that as an example, but it happens all the it happens all the time, and so it's it's a shame that it happened you know, at the General Assembly of the uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church. He takes a shot, though, and I I think this is of note. The reporting that came out of this was from the Christianity Today uh, article, and he does take a shot at the uh, deceptive nature of the Christianity Today. He says, many of you have already read the Christianity Today article about this assembly. Uh, In that article, the author characterized the first two incidents as joking about, quote, slave labor, end quote. Here is the first lesson for all OPC members. While the Christianity Today article is not outright lying, it is presenting the incident in a deceptive frame. The instance we were told about was that a commissioner made two jokes about the 13th Amendment. So it sounds to me like John is more like a historical uh, joke. I mean, you know, uh, makes a joke about the 13th Amendment. This is the amendment that outlawed slavery. The essence of the joke was that since slavery is no more, don't work too hard. This was a case of wrong place, wrong time. The term slave labor wasn't used, as far as I can tell. The Christianity Today article uses the term slave labor in its reporting for the emotional effect. That term evokes all kinds of visceral responses. Hence, the author uses that term, which was never reported to us at GA. Thus, we have a case of deceptive framing in the Christianity Today article, and that's not the first time Christianity Today does this. Um, I feel like a lot of people feel like they punch right, and here you have a what is classified as more of a conservative denomination. It seems like you know it was a you know a, a punching right situation, and we have Christianity Today, unfortunately, according to this, imitating the uh, corporate legacy media outlets that uh, do this very same thing, uh, you know every day <laughs> so right well it's a good it's a good
0: reminder um and by the way this week there are a couple of articles uh, again opinion pieces that are reflecting on what uh, benny castle said so if you go to the cool report even now you can um read those one was yesterday i think next one will be appearing tomorrow number two is uh, ask the question uh paper tiger pca by ray sanchez uh, Ray Sanchez is a ruling elder in the Grace Presbyterian Church in Fresno, California. He was at General Assembly. He wrote this, of course, in anticipation of what was coming up at General Assembly with reference to the uh, discussion that we would have on uh, the homosexual, homosexual homosexuality and the report of the uh, what, what to do to enshrine in the Book of Church Order of the PCA. Uh, a statement with regard to officers, what uh, they're, they're expected to do, what their views should be with regard to biblical sexual ethics. Now, if you recall, we've said it so many times here, if you're a regular listener, you would know this, uh, that we had two overtures last year, what we called for shorthand phrases, uh, overture 23 and an older um, uh, 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 37. And both of them dealt with this. One was very... Uh, the 23 dealt with more of the principled side of it to 37 more of the application and neither of them received the two thirds uh, vote of the, uh, of the presbyteries necessary. So it was going up. And so before general assembly, uh, Ray Sanchez wrote this article, says that, uh, my use of the paper tiger when describing the PCA is slightly different than the standard definition, there are many good things going on in the PCA that, uh, are profitable that are profitable for the gospel ministry that are certainly not facades when I say the PCA may be a paper tiger I mean that the PCA is strong on paper but not in practice especially when it comes to the 12 statements in the report of the ad interim committee on human sexuality and so that's basically his thesis that we we have lofty themes and strong statements but in terms of practice, we may not be as forthright and as, uh, you know, forthcoming. So he was urging in this little piece before the assembly not to be afraid to take stance, and as you'll read um, in the summary of the General Assembly uh, for last week, that there were two uh, further or new uh, overtures that were passed. One is going to be called Overture 15 and the other one is Overture 29. Um, And they will be sent down, they were approved by General Assembly, and sent down to the Presbyteries for a two-thirds vote. And we'll say more about those next week when you have, uh, you'll have them in front of you and we'll be able to look at that. But they're already on site at theecoloreport.com if you want to get a head start Um, and uh, let's see what they are. But anyway, in this case Elder Sanchez is uh, just exhorting the PCA not to be afraid of being forth, uh, straightforward, biblical, straightforwardly biblical in language um, and to lay out clearly what we believe the scripture says with regard to uh, human sexuality and that we follow uh, forth our witness in the world by being straightforward. I think you'll find that uh, the two overtures... Uh, do fulfill what uh, Elder Sanchez here was talking about. So we'll, you know, you'll have time to read it and
1: make that decision as well. Well, I mean, well. especially yeah. Overture 15. I mean, yes. You yeah. don't get any more straightforward than that. Yep. And that was a big, uh, just a, a big, uh, I just think, victory uh, for being straightforward. You know, the, the elephant in the room is that since 2018, we're dealing with this issue of homosexuality. And so Overture 15 just directly confronts that and puts it to bed. I mean, it really does. So yeah, um, it does. And it'll be it'll be a tough sell. But I think
0: it's something that uh, having debated it over the last couple of years and tried different kinds of wording that we may have the two overtures now that um, affirm one another and they're clearly drafted. And, and well, uh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, so. you know, my just I know we'll get into this next week, too, but. I mean, I don't know how you vote against Overture fifteen and explain that to your congregation back home. I mean yeah. I, I just I don't under that's gonna you talk about a tough sell. That's a tough sell. And yeah. it, to the point where I kind of was even speculating that some who voted against approving the minority report on overture fifteen might not vote that way when they go to their presbyteries. They may in fact vote for it. Right. Exactly. exactly.
0: Okay, number three is uh, another opinion piece by John Payne, who's pastor of the Christ Church Presbyterian in uh, Charleston, uh, South Carolina. The Courage to be Presbyterian, uh, he's ended up with by saying, with the hearts full of love for God and each other, let's seek the peace and holiness of the church and show the courage of our Presbyterian convictions. And so in this, uh, Dr. Payne is um, uh, basically you know, just lays out some ideas, notions about the church having to be strong. And in our case, what does it mean to be Presbyterian? And it means that we're uh, historically a confessional church, that we rely greatly on what the Bible has to say, how the Bible then is uh, interpreted uh, by the, uh, and contained, that's you know, exposited in the uh, catechisms and the confession. So the phrase, one quote here, the temptation for the church to broker God's truth for the sake of ecclesiastical unity and cultural acceptance is a perennial one. The evangelical world has already made that, uh, that deal. It is disgraceful, but we must, uh, we must not. My uh, fellow elders in the Presbyterian Church in America, we must firmly resist the temptation to negotiate biblical fidelity and confessional integrity. The corrosion of orthodoxy often begins with the pursuit of counterfeit unity. Uh, True biblical unity, however, is always founded uh, upon the unadulterated truth of Scripture. And uh, it's in that thread and theme that uh, Dr. Payne talks about the importance of the credibility of being Presbyterians and how the truth of uh, confessions and understanding Scripture will help us to uh, want to be out and make decisions that are be helpful for the life of the church, so that goes along with the paper tiger idea, just uh, uses different language, I think. So, uh, another article that uh, I think was
1: heated, uh, followed uh, at the general assembly, yeah, yeah. You know, he mentions the book of Hebrews a lot here, um, and then he uh, writes, Some in the church were like distance runners. Who had wandered off course, they were lost, slumped over with spiritual exhaustion, hands hanging down and knees devoid of strength. They were unsteady, accommodating error for the sake of unity and peace. Uh, it's a really good article, uh, folks. Y'all need to take a look. Good. Number four is an article by
0: Grant Van Leuven. Christians must protest pride parades and their violent, Sodom-like riotous stonewall origin now it's quite a mouthful for a title and it has a number of um, historical things that are in there of course the first one would be that stonewall origin Uh, the section of um, soho in new york city was the riots of 1969 uh, where it was a heavily um, homosexual area and there was an attack on that. There was a riot that came as a result of that where they said, we're not going to take it anymore. And they uh, burned down some buildings and uh, there were some fires. And anyway, that was the beginning sort of of the public movement within our culture to find a way to make homosexuality a more agreeable and mainstream. And uh, that's when it all began. And now we we are where we are. Now, what uh, Grant Van Leuven is saying is that Christians must uh, stand up against these things because as we know that now they've taken over the whole month of June as Pride Month, uh, celebrating that lifestyle and what appears to be decadent. uh, It uh, no holds barred that you can do whatever in terms of how you dress. The uh, drag queens uh, teaching children in school and uh, kindergarten and reading books to them, that kind of thing. And so he is just calling on Christians to be more assertive, uh, to not allow that uh, the uh, homosexual practices and principles to get embedded into the cultural mainstream. uh, And we need to stand up against it. And it's a sort of a hard hitting piece, probably um, more than um, we're used to thinking that Uh, we need to, you know, be helpful, Uh, you know, as Christians, we need to, you know, speak with care and love, but at the same time, be very firm in what we're uh, doing, so um, apparently people, readers liked it, so it was number four
1: on our list. Yeah, you know, we haven't even mentioned uh, the, I mean, we're going to, I'm going to mention the slippery slope here, but I'm going to mention it in terms of uh, we, we may have at least culturally the, the, the Roe versus Wade decision, the Roe versus Wade being overturned. Uh, maybe the sliding has momentarily stopped. I don't know for how long. But um, Pride Month not really working out too well for the uh, those who are, are full of pride. Um, and I, I just, you know, I just praise God for, for this blessing that uh, this this terrible precedent has been overturned it's been a long time coming i never thought i would see it in my lifetime dominic i'm sure you thought you would never see it in your lifetime exactly i i I mean
0: in fact i can still remember uh that january of 1973 when when we used to call him you know walter cronkite you know was the dominant person to give the news and we called him uncle walt and that was in so january so the day after the decision is when it he came on and back then Uh, The news, the national news was 15 minutes uh, shows you. I'm really showing my age at this point. Um, And remember, they were a big deal of going to 30 minutes. And everyone's wondered if they'd keep everyone's attention for 30 minutes. And now we have wall to wall, you know, news uh, blocks. But um, I remember reading, hearing that. And I didn't even know that there was a case going on because back then uh, evangelicals were not that engaged in culture of that aware and <clears throat> I wasn't aware that this thing was making its way up to the Supreme Court so when it came up I shook my head and after I put the kids to bed I had my office in the home at that time I was planning a church and I, I went to the office and I jotted down some notes uh, a basic little outline to write a letter to the editor of the Richmond time dispatch and so the next morning when I got up I filled in and mailed it. Back in those days, you had to mail it, you had to put a stamp on it. And uh, sent it. and the Times-Dispatch ran the uh, uh, letter uh, that I had there. And so that—that uh, that is how I got involved in what was then a very, very small and nascent uh, uh, pro-life movement. It not even called pro-life. It was just, uh, your, you know, again, anti-abortion. So, uh, so I remember that uh, one of the things that I said was that, so you need to mark, uh, by the way, you used the word uh, slippery slope. You had to mark when we did that. So that was early on in our fifth <laughs> article. Here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and, and uh, so the uh, member was saying uh, I had just learned the word denigrate. And I said, "This is the beginning of the denigration of culture," and I think we said, "And we're going down a slippery slope." Um, and that was that was not used that frequently in 1973. And uh, so, uh, and that definitely happened. And so I became involved in the uh, pro-life movement at different levels and different ways. Anyway, this um, uh, you know story is just you know, the just our need to be aware of. Um, how we need to stand firm on what is biblical true and how we go about doing it. Cause that's going to be important
1: as well. Yeah. I also think, you know, no, uh, I just followed I, I know what Francis Schaeffer said in his series, how should we then live in his book? And by the way, if you've never seen the actual video, uh, series of how, how we should then live Francis Schaeffer has these knee high socks on. He's walking through these countries in Europe. It's a sight to see, but <laughs> it's really good. Um, but he said the Christian consensus was gone, was lost in 73, that it was over because of the Roe versus Wade decision. And now that it's been reversed. And then yesterday we get this ruling where, you know, pray, the, the coach is allowed to pray in, in at a school um, and the Supreme Court side. It, it's just uh, I mean, I, I just feel like these are uh, these are definitely blessings of reprieve. I just I just hope that. Uh, we as a, as a country can, uh, actually repent. And I know there's different ideas about, about, you know, repentance personally and that, that sort of thing like people, but you know what I mean? The fact that our laws, I'm just saying the fact that this is now something that's sent back to the States, uh, and it's decided by individual States and and who knows, maybe there is going to be a push for a, a national ban at some point, uh, which I would obviously support. Um, it just it just seems uh, even in the midst of everything going on in our country, the fact that we get th- these rulings is very um, I don't know. It's 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 just remarkable to me, knowing what Schaefer had said and, and knowing about the slippery slope and 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 how, you know, really, if you, you can mark that row decision, you know, of elevating uh, this, elevating a woman almost to a uh, an, idolatry like level. And we have seen where that's played out to where now, you know, we have we've we, in my opinion, have, have put uh, put, a, you know, the woman in, in the place that they're not designed for. And we don't even know what a woman is. Right. We don't even know what a woman is. And, and just look how. And I think that stems back from. Not being able to tell what a what a what a baby is. We don't want to admit what a baby is. So we don't even know what a woman is. You know,
0: yeah, well, um, it's one of the uh, statements that was said was the that all of a sudden with this Supreme Court decision, all of a sudden everyone understands what a woman is because she's the only one that can really be. a That's true.
1: Person. That's yeah. true. And they 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 righted that in a way. Yeah. An mm-hmm. official government statement. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, OK, number five takes us back to a story of uh, dealing with covid. And uh, as we've said on this podcast and the articles that we've dealt with, that the COVID incident, even after COVID is really, really gone, we're still going to be living in the mm, shadow, uh, the reality of what took place as we evaluate and assess happened. And this is one of those articles uh, that was done and written by Karen Hunt in The American Greatness. The uh, story of COVID cries out for common sense. Uh, from Luxor to Los Angeles, how I was able to dispel the lies with common sense, and you can too. Uh, so Karen Hunt says, when I, when the pandemic struck, I was living in Luxor, Egypt, which is the way down in Upper Egypt, uh, and that's where most of the, by the way, all the, most of the uh, pyramids are in Egypt. Most think it's around Cairo. Cairo just has about three or four, uh, but it's on Luxor. That's really the Valley of the Pharaohs. Uh, I had started the first boxing club for girls at the West Bank and had hoped to start writing and program connecting kids in Luxor with kids in Los Angeles. And then mysteriously, this mysterious illness called COVID-19 appeared and the program's fizzle, fizzled out. And so um, in it, um, she says that uh, being at, at a distance, she goes on to give some anecdotal illustrations. Uh, She had, you know, said that it just didn't sound right. Uh, You know, I'd been raised by God-fearing parents to have a healthy skepticism of the media and government, but nothing had prepared me for the lies and manipulations that became the the story of COVID, Uh, stories of the most powerful force we have, either to uh, solidify beliefs or to change them. Uh, From my vantage point in Luxor, I was able to see the big picture without being engulfed in it. I noticed how... Every story popping up on my newsfeed parroted uh, state propaganda. In the 1980s, I lived in Yugoslavia under communism and coordinated almost hypnotic uh, repetitiveness of the media was beginning to look eerily familiar. Now, whether or not all that Karen Hunt says here is or not, uh, the, this issue of COVID, and we've discussed it here on the Aquila Report and Weekly Review, Uh, has created uh, great schism uh, clashes in the church. People have fallen out of the church on both sides, uh, either side of this issue. And so here's an article just says, um, you know, we need to be careful about how we uh, put together uh, things and how we pay attention to what uh, the government says and how they promote uh, things, especially um, uh, this, you know, a matter of um, a pandemic and I think it's just a uh, reflective, and it's going to be, uh, many articles are going to be like this, reflecting back, did it have to be this way or in that way? And I think we're just beginning to get, another, this is the first of many, many articles uh, taking a different position in terms of evaluation. And so, Paul, I think um, it's a learning a curve for all of us here, and uh, I think this is a mm. you know, helpful article with regard oh, to yeah. that. Because, of, I mean, it really did. The church was uh, seriously uh, wounded uh, by this, uh, no matter which position anyone was taking.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and, and this is a great piece in the postmortem of what do we do in the next time? That, that's 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 the benefit of, of articles like this to to make sure we don't make the same mistakes. And we may not agree on what those mistakes are. I think people know what I think, but. Um, we just need to use this to to make hopefully w- wiser uh, uh, wiser decisions the next time. Yeah. Good
0: article on that regard It just help us, to you know, assess things and get the information that's necessary. OK, um, now we come now to. Um, the um, number uh, six, and that is uh, by George Sayer, who is pastor of the Meadowview View. Uh, church PCA in uh in Lexington, uh, North Carolina, reading the domestic and sexual abuse study committee report. Uh, the PCA directed a committee a, a number of years ago on uh, domestic and sexual abuse because of its growing problems in uh, other churches and other places. And so, we thought we'd need to get ahead of this thing and give you know good, clear direction and conscious direction. So the report has been published. If you want to read it, it's uh, hyperlinked in this article. And we had at General Assembly uh, about an hour and a half presentation by the committee of the various facets, chapters, and uh, uh, innuendos that was very well received by the General Assembly. And I think it will be helpful to the life of the church so we're not working and walking in the dark. Uh, with regard to what is happening how things can happen and how do we go about handling it as the issues rise up but it so george uh, sayers a pastor uh shows uh, mostly a, a very positive fee appreciation a couple of uh, comments but um but mostly for the most part it's something that he fa- has found uh, helpful so he says the Presbyterian church in america's ad interim committee on domestic abuse and sexual abuse and it's now D A S A Dasa. We put everything in an initial, you know, just like the military does. Recently released its report to be presented at the 49th General Assembly later this month, which was last week. Given everything that has gone on in the news and online, at other denominations releasing reports of abuse in their ranks, there has been much confusion over the PCA dominant document. Uh, what it is, what it's not and what place does it uh, have within our uh, polity so first he says what it is not it is not an analysis of investigation of allegations in the bca that's not a part of that uh, report it is not binding on pca churches in any way and it's not going to be either approved or adopted uh, the pca receives reports it doesn't approve or adopt them but they're making them available to the churches for their study and review. So it's, uh, he just says it's, you know, deals, it's both uh, biblical and confessional. It deals with both the body as well as the soul. It deals with handling, um, you know, different, uh, different parts of scripture, uh, some case by case uh, guidance with some uh, anecdotal illustrations, and it presents uh, gospel hope. So there are a number of good things about it. So this is, a document that uh, I think uh, be wise for pre, uh, PCA members to read, and definitely it should be something that our sessions and documents ought to uh, engage, involve them. There, with the the more this is happening in culture, where there's domestic and sexual abuse on different levels within families, or and and schools and other places that we just need to be aware to set, put up the protections. That are necessary in the life of the church. It's uh, the church is not excluded uh, from these kinds of things happening within its gates. And we need to be aware of that. So uh, it's a very good report
1: that um, Pastor Sayer uh, commends to us. And I understand that when they presented this report last week, uh, I mean, it was a it was a long um it took quite a bit of time to do, but I, yeah. from what I understand, people were very grateful for the way it was done. Yes.
0: It was a standing ovation afterwards, which you usually don't get for, you know, something that's very technical and, uh, you know, very, in, you know, in, in intertwined with other things. So, uh, you know, we commend the commission, the committee for its diligent and it's available uh, for everyone to read online. So um, let's, let's take advantage of it because, of all places, the church believes in the, uh, you know, we're Calvinist and believe in total depravity. And if something can go wrong, it probably will, because sin is always meddling in our lives. And uh, it manifests itself in different ways, including uh, sexual uh, issues. So uh, commend that sex, uh, sexual abuse, uh, domestic, just the abuse document, probably the best way to put it. OK, number seven is uh Opinion piece by Brad Isbell, uh, what is a in a denominational name? And this is a basically a historical piece that says that both the OPC, the Orthodox Christian Church, and the PCA, Christian Church in America, are probably better than their first. The, the, those names that these two churches now have were not the original names they started with at the very beginning. The OPC started um, as the Preston Church of America in 1936 when uh, J. Gresham Machen and a number of the people left the uh, the Preston Church USA, sometimes colloquially known as the Northern Preston Church, and uh, and they formed the first PCA, Preston Church of America, And they, but uh, within a year or two after that, the... Uh, larger church sued and said that that name was too close to and uh, uh, to their name and it would confuse people who were not aware of the technicology between them and so they lost a the suit and so the uh that first pca press church of america had the of preposition uh changed its name uh to um, orthodox christian church and he lists the number of uh, possible names that were before them uh, at that at that time uh, as to what they could uh, do. The Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It was the Evangelical Christian Church, Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Reformed Church in America, the American Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Church of Christ, the Protestant uh, Pres the Protestant Presbyterian Church of America, and so forth. You know, so you could see there was a list, and they probably had to go through a number of ballots before they got to it. Now, with regard to the PCA, its first name was actually the National Presbyterian Church, NPC. Uh, There's one church, a local church, that actually is called National Presbyterian Church, and it's in Washington, D.C. And after choosing the the First General Assembly in December of 1973, that name, uh, the elders at National Presbyterian Church in D.C. asked, the General Assembly, if they wouldn't mind changing their name, so it would be confusing uh, because they sort of were it was a, it is and was and is a historic church and sort of carried that name and mantle in a unique way. There was no obligation to do so. There was not going to be any suit. So at the second or third assembly, they changed the name and there were about 17 different names that were proposed um, for the commissioners to vote on. And that's when uh, the Presbyterian Church in America. And so we, the, the reason that in that preposition is important, because if you said of, it you still have that other um, legal decree from 1937, 38 that was still on the book. So we just changing the preposition, in that made the difference. So he just goes through and give Brad Brad Isbell as a, a very helpful history that you can become. Aware of, uh, you know, what how how churches get their names and uh, how important that is. So it's a just I mean, an interesting
1: piece. There's a disparaging joke in here somewhere uh, you, that you could make. Somebody could write about about Presbyterians still debating on what the name should be, you know, like you know they decided to, to form a new church but they never got off the grill because they couldn't decide what they what the the name wanted to be because of the presbyterian nature of debate and deliberation and process uh, yeah but if we hadn't right that's if we hadn't what, done it
0: quickly would have uh still be debating it right that's
1: right yeah there's some there's some joke in there that could be written but brad does a great job and and man his grasp of of the history and and the knowledge of 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 the church is something that is uh I, I guess I envy very much. So. Yeah,
0: well, it's helpful to have that perspective. A lot of folks are new to Presbyterian Presbyterianism and definitely new to the OPC or PCA, and just to know that they had other names uh, that they went through. You know, ch- churches don't normally change their names unless they're going through a merger with another or uh, union with another church. Uh, so it's it, it's nice to have a little bit of history. Okay, number eight, the Tom Ascol, uh, pastor in um, the in west coast of Florida, are Southern Baptist still people of the book. A new rift is developing within the uh, Southern Baptist Convention as it is in other conservative evangelical denominations, and it uh, surrounds the nature of Scripture. The, this time the fight is not as much over Scripture's inerrancy as much as it's over its sufficiency. The question is whether the scripture ought to be regarded as comprehensive guide for the Christian life, the place where our inquiry starts and ends, or is it instead a mere touchstone a touch point to be inter- reinterpreted and mediated through the thick lens of a contemporary sensibilities? Conservative evangelicals claim to believe in the sufficiency of scripture, but that belief is too often held only in a theoretical way. Many Baptist leaders these days appear, actually appear embarrassed by how the Bible applies to our modern debates. And so Tom uh, Ascol is really uh, calling the Southern Baptist to realize the sufficiency of the scripture that what God intended to say, he said, and that the basic principles that we are to follow are already laid out. Uh, they're not necessarily, you know, uh, given an outline form. Okay, you do point one here and then you move to point two and then point three. It's the idea that the principles that God has laid out are sufficient uh, to give guidance, no matter what is happening culturally, where we are in uh, ethnically or in a different country or any of that order. So it's are universal principles that are true wherever you, uh, wherever somebody may have to be. And so, is this reason he challenges the southern baptists are they still people of the book or do we change with every um, shift in culture every new wind of doctrine that comes along so it's a very helpful thing and not only for southern baptists but it's that would be true uh, for every denomination and indeed for every believer mm-hmm. to say that the principles that are laid out in scripture are sufficient to give us guidance if we will understand how they're to be understand them and then how to be applied.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting that when you say the question is whether the scripture ought to be regarded as comprehensive as a comprehensive guide for the Christian life. Um, and, and the obvious answer is, is yes, but I, I find it uh, what, what this guy's essentially saying is and not to bring the Supreme court up again, but if, if you are uh, a, a judge that's on the left, then you you say something like the constitution is a living document and the meanings of those words change over time, and so that's how we get this judicial activism and, and, and everything else. Now, when I'm growing up, I'm told that the Bible's a living document, but the definition is completely different. The Bible's a living document because it does have these comprehensive guides and, and you know, that speak to the truth of, 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 of life and the truths in life you know, for all time. It's kind of an interesting uh, thing because you can you can find liberal uh, uh, judges who say, no, the Constitution is, is a, uh, a liberal or I'm sorry, a, a living document. And that they mean that it it's it it changes versus we're saying the Bible is living, meaning that it doesn't change. And it's it's always a, a guide for life. And so I find that interesting. And, and that really is the question here. Are they going to start taking the and say, yeah, well, the scriptures are true but they're not necessarily we need we need critical race theory to come alongside you know uh it's even been told that we need critical race theory as an analytical tool you know and uh and that's just that's just preposterous and ridiculous and and this article does a really good job of bringing out bringing out the struggles and the challenges that the SBC has before them
0: yes yeah it is and this is uh a it's something, every gener each generation of the church has to deal with this question. Has the, the Bible, does the Bible say everything we need for us to exist? And I, I believe so. And that's the reason we call it the sufficiency. Uh, and that, again, if you see it principally, it does apply in a beautiful way. Now, the uh, eighth um, article, the, um, let me see, is that the eighth, the, no, this ninth article, now we come to. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Is written by Kevin DeYoung and it's entitled The Seven Principles for Cultivating a Christian Posture Toward the World. And in this, uh, he basically starts off from something that we've had some articles on the Global Report here recently. It says Tim Keller recently tweeted about abortion politics, and then James Wood wrote a pay piece for First Things uh, respectfully critiquing. Uh, Ke- uh, Keller's approach to politics and cultural engagement, which then prompted F- David French to defend Keller and critique Wood. And by now, that probably someone who's crit- criticizing them all. That's just the first paragraph. So you have to know your players and to get a scorecard to understand what's going on here. There were, and some of the articles, and all those articles are on the Aquila report that uh, referred to here. Rather than responding to specific arguments in particular, Kevin says, I'd like to zoom out and ask a broader question. What should the Christian's posture be to a hostile world? Uh, Not surprisingly, the question does not allow for a simple answer. The message and model of the New Testament cannot be reduced to a single attitude or strategy. But there are important lessons. And he just lays out seven. that. And this goes back to the sufficiency. What are the principles that are there that can guide us? Uh, that are raised out of the uh, scriptures that inform us. For instance, uh, he has here set an example of godliness for the unbeliever. Uh, Be prepared to suffer. That is, you're going to take a position that will be suffering in a a world that's not uh, focused on the righteousness of God. Uh, Build attractive bridges to welcome the curious in. So if they have questions, they will be able to Answer them. Build sturdy walls to keep false teachers out and false teachings out. Uh, do not think that one size fits all. Approach cultural and ethical polarities on a case-by-case basis. And when people give you a hearing, uh, don't lead in with a hard edge and don't leave the hard stuff out. So basically, those are seven things that Kevin DeYoung lays out. You can read it part of the article. And I think these are Wise, they do flow out of that sufficiency issue that we've been talking about, and I can trust that to you. So we can uh, thank him because the, we do, as Christians, live in a world that is contrary to everything that is Christian. Just because it's the world is part of the uh, the the uh, city of man, as Augustine would say, and the church is part of what is part of the city of God, and the two are clashed as like light and darkness. And so we live in that this context. And so, how does the light, which is the city of uh, God, and the, that which attracts those who believe in Him and the Word, uh, do they live in the culture? We can't escape it. We can't run away. We can try, but it's not going to be good. And uh, so, how do we engage it, light, in, in infecting and infusing itself in uh, in the darkness?
1: So it's very helpful. Uh, article by Kevin DeYoung. And I will just add, very well said, Dominic. I w- I would just add that if you're if you're not up to speed on the Tim Keller, James Woods, uh, James Wood, David French back and forth, those articles are hyperlinked uh, in this Kevin DeYoung piece. Yeah, right. And there
0: was the other one that was left out that we have on the Equator Report is by Aaron Wren. He sort of captured all of those uh, as well. So uh, you could do a, do a little homework and. Find out how uh, you can live more faithfully as a believer, as light in the darkness. And then we come to number 10. One question that uh, as a pastor, I knew I got more frequently uh, than most other questions. Uh, what does it mean that Christ descended into hell when it says that in the Apostles Creed? And this is by our Fowler White, in which he goes through the various um, views on uh, the, he descended to hell, and he g- goes through, and finally arrives at the point where he says the Westminster Confession, especially the Larger Catechism, uh, question uh, 50, um, really deals with this: that the descent into hell means he descended into the uh, into the grave, into the shield, which would be the grave. And unfortunately, the word translated then at that point, hell uh, opened up the whole can of worms with reference to Jesus get off the cross. When he was, instead of immediately going to his father in spirit, he went into the nether world and preached to those who are already dead or the Old Testament people, uh, which is something that the Reform view anyway does not accept. Um, And so this is a good article that will help bring your sense that basically that Jesus was in the grip of death for three days, uh, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So the son of man was going to be bound by death as part of his redemptive work. So it was not only on the cross, but he had to go through dying and as a human being on our part, he also had to experience uh, that, uh, that the uh, living, you know, being dead itself and Going into that nether world. And it was from there that resurrection took place. And um, so that he could break the bands of death, and resurrection uh, would be the new life that uh, those who believe in Jesus would then have. So, uh, very helpful article yeah. so that you're not afraid of saying that. Some churches being afraid of it had just removed it. And when they mm-hmm. do that, they actually are removing an essential part of the gospel presentation as the scripture lays it out what's interesting is that when both peter and paul address this matter uh they quote from psalm 16 verse 10 in uh, chapter acts chapter 2 and acts chapter 13 both of them use uh, psalm 16:10 as their proof text if you would that teaches they said that jesus had to be held in the bands of death by the bands of death and he was resurrected by that because you will not allow your holy one to see corruption, that is uh, decay, because he had paid the penalty for sin. And therefore, his body would not experience the, uh, the decay that would come uh, because the father accepted his death. So saying he descended to hell means he fulfilled all that was necessary for us to be able to know that we have eternal life and that while we go into the grave, we will not be left there and there'll be a resurrection from the dead at the last day.
1: Amen. And this part really spoke to me Uh, compelled by scripture texts like those above. We appreciate the help offered for our understanding of the descent clause in the reformed catechisms. Uh, Heidelberg and Westminster Heidelberg instructs us why the creed adds the clause. He descended into hell in, in these words to assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. Mm-hmm. Really, really good and encouraging words. Yes. Well, that's the
0: uh, <clears throat> top 10 list for this week of August, uh, June uh, twenty eight the, in fact, in a few minutes, and you will receive the newsletter for this week, and now that you've listened to this, and you read the articles, you'll be able to um, enjoy them hopefully a little bit more, uh, we'll try and get back on our regular schedule, although Paul, I noticed that next week uh, is, uh, that it's Monday, uh, Mondays July 4th, you're going to be maybe doing something um,
1: special, I don't know, we can probably still record that day, but um, but anyway, the, My mic was we, muted. I'm definitely going to be uh, barbecuing doing something that day. I mean, I'll yeah. be around, so let's just yeah. uh, Well, we might just, talk just do it, it earlier.
0: It. Yes, we will. Yeah. Well, um, it's been a joy to be with you again in this podcast. The Equal Report and Weekly Review, we appreciate you as our regular listeners. Please feel free to share the uh, URL, send it to friends, forward it to them, and have them join us in this discussion uh, so that they will be on top of things that are happening and what the Equal Report readers are thinking. As I've said, I believe that the Ecuador Report readers are the most discerning readers around, that they wrestle with issues, they like to be challenged, and uh, we appreciate so much the uh, commitment and the loyalty that you provide us. And so until next time, uh, pray. God bless you as you walk before Him.